Broadcasting from our office in Buffalo, New York, this is the Arrive Podcast, the comprehensive guide to U.S. immigration law designed especially for our Canadian neighbors. I'm Jeremy Richards, your host, along with my co-host and business partner, Christine Jerusik. We bring decades of immigration law experience helping Canadians to live and work in the United States. We're here to simplify the complexities of the U.S. immigration process, answer your questions, and provide insights that only experienced professionals can provide. In each episode, Christine and I will delve into legal concepts, share personal narratives, and bring you insightful conversations, all designed to educate, enlighten, and empower you as you navigate the U.S. immigration law landscape. Whether you're preparing to move to the United States for work, studies, love, or if you're just intrigued by U.S. immigration law, the ARRIVE podcast is your resource for making the journey clearer, simpler, and more approachable. So we invite you to come on this journey with us. Listen to the ARRIVE podcast, follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the latest episodes as they are released. And if you find what we share helpful, don't keep it to yourself. Feel free to share it with others who might also benefit from the content. Our mission is to assist our friends from the North in successfully navigating their way to live and work in the United States. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to arrive. This is the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. So today we are going to give an overview of the H-1B visa and the upcoming lottery. We're coming up on H-1B lottery season. It's that time of the year when individuals who have no other option but the H-1B need to consider entering into the H-1B visa lottery. So we're going to talk about the H-1B visa, who should consider entering into the lottery, and what that process looks like for both the employee and the employer. First, what is the H-1B visa lottery? So the H-1B visa lottery, there are only... 85,000 available H-1B visas that are issued each year in the U.S. immigration system to work in the United States under the H-1B visa. And if you are not Canadian, this could be your only option to get a visa to work in the United States. Also, if you are Canadian and you don't qualify under TN status, maybe your profession is not listed or you don't have traditional education or the certificates that are required in order to qualify under a TN profession, well, H-1B could be your only option. Maybe you are a CEO of an organization. Maybe you work in sales and marketing. Maybe you have a profession that is simply not listed under the TN professions. Well, this is your opportunity to potentially get a visa to work in the United States in your profession. Or even if you've had a TN and your career is advanced where you're in line for a management level position and management level positions aren't on the TN list, that CEO, that executive level position Jeremy mentioned, is yeah. an example, you could qualify for H-1B and uh, may make sense to transfer to, to enter in the lottery and to see if uh, you can transfer your status over to H-1B so you can take that managerial level position. Or maybe you're a, a management consultant and they want to hire you as an permanent right, role, yeah, right? Right, we've done lots of those. That's another category. And, and, and it goes on and on for individuals that might fit in this, even as Canadians, and where you should consider entering into the H-1B visa lottery. There's also one thought on this process too because a tn 
there, there's one of the major differences between a TN and an H-1B is that an H-1B visa is what's called a dual intent visa. That means you can enter the United States on an H-1B visa with the intent to stay here temporarily or permanently. It doesn't matter. They'll still admit you. Whereas on a TN, you should maintain what is called single intent or non-immigrant intent when you're entering the United States. Your intent should only be to work in the U.S. and you should you should maintain the intent to return to your home country at the end of your TN status. Now, that does not prevent either a TN visa holder or an H-1B visa holder from going from TN or H-1B to green card. In fact, it's the exact same process to go from TN or H-1B to green card. The major difference, however, is at the very end of this process, whether in most individuals, if they're in the United States already working in TN status or H-1B status, they're going to do what is called adjustment of status. They're going to request that the government changes them from their TN or H-1B to a green card through whatever process it is, whether it's family-based or, or employment-based immigration. If you're an H-1B visa and you enter and you request to adjust status, you can continue to travel during the process. They allow you to exit and re-enter the U.S., not a problem because it's a dual intent visa. So if you have a pending green card, it doesn't matter. They'll let you back in. Whereas if you are an ATN and you seek to adjust status, you cannot travel until you get authorization to travel. Oh, you can, but you're not getting back into the U.S. to work. <laughs> you can go. You can. Nobody's going to stop you. <laughs> you're just foregoing the process that you filed for. Right. So yeah, you, you abandon just, the process mm-hmm. if you travel. Right. Uh, and they won't let you back in until you actually get the immigrant visa. So that's the biggest difference. And that's where there's a lot of confusion around the H-1B and TN and mm-hmm. whether you can go to green card. Well, it's that travel component. You can still do it. You just have, there's more considerations with the TN. Similarly, if you're in TN status and it gets close to the end of the process, you're ready to adjust status. You want to make sure that you have enough time left on your TN to continue working for your employer um, while you're awaiting the employment authorization part of the process. So you don't want to fall out of status and have to stop working while you're waiting. Because Um, you you won't be able to extend it once you file for adjustment, right? Right. Whereas in H-1B, you can continue to extend it if you need to while you're waiting for adjustment. So right. and, and major difference. Yeah, major difference. Um, but both processes are both just as doable as one as the other. Um, you just have to take in a couple extra considerations with the TN. And another another item to consider in this can be a factor with individuals that decide that they don't want to use the TN path to green card and would prefer the H-1B path is your country of birth. Mm, oh, yeah. So... so a lot of Canadians are born in Canada, but there's just as there are just as many or more that were not born in Canada. And if you were not born in Canada and you have and you're born in a country that has a significant wait time for a US green card based on your category, maybe in the most common one that we see from Canada is India. Uh, Indian and Chinese nationals. They're they're two most common out of India or out of Canada. We're third country nationals. They may be Canadian citizens now but they were born in another country. And it may not seem fair that you are now a Canadian citizen and you have to be held to your country of birth, but that's how the U.S. immigration system works. It, it's based on country of birth. So if you are from a country with a very long wait time, some people aren't comfortable staying on TN status while they're juggling uh, renewals and going through this, the process of getting a green card and possible dual intent, and they prefer just to have an H-1B. 
that'll that has the dual intent then they don't have to worry about dealing with dual intent issues it is possible like we already said you can still continue to extend your tn until until that becomes current as long as you do it correctly you having an approved i-130 or an approved i-140 doesn't establish immigrant intent in and of itself you have to take the next step which is adjustment of status to actually declare an immigrant intent however for those reasons some people opt for the h1b that just provides a level of comfort that they want in this immigration process uh, it relieves some stress so they don't have to worry about immigrant intent during the process. And I think a lot of that is fueled by online and Google searches people are doing regarding H-1B to green card. Um, and because that's the only option for most people around the world, there's a lot more content but out 99% there. 99% of the <laughs> right. people in the world. There's a lot more content out there about that process. Um, but it does not mean you can't go from TN to green card just as easily. Um, there's just not a lot of content out there about that. It is a process that's available to Canadians and Mexican nationals and should not be ignored. Correct. And that is probably the biggest misconception that that we hear mm-hmm. on a weekly, if not oh, daily yeah. basis, where we have to clarify. People say, well, I'm on a TN. I can't get a green card. Right. How do I how actually? Can I get an yes, H-1B? you can. Uh, you can go from TN to green card. Oh, I can? Everyone's telling me I can't. No, you can. So you just have to know how to do it. And if you look at practitioners such as ourselves that do immigration, well, you, look at, you look at Canada, there's only 35, 40 million people in all of Canada, an entire country, right? I think we have almost that many in New York State. So in the United States has 360 million some odd people in it. Well, the world, if you go to certain countries, China, India, they have billions of people. So when you're looking at the immigration system, Canada is a is a drop, a tier in the bucket of immigration. So very small percentage of people. And then when you look at practitioners who actually specialize just with Canadians, well, that's even a smaller percentage of immigration attorneys. We're very few that have the level of expertise and understanding that we do with Canadians. So when it comes to, to immigration law, uh, Canadians are, are a very small portion of the individuals that immigrate to the United States. And if you look at immigration attorneys in the practice of immigration law, a very small percentage of those immigration lawyers deal specifically with Canadians. So that's where a lot of this confusion comes from. Uh, there plenty are plenty of immigration lawyers will say, oh, dealing with a Canadian isn't isn't any different than dealing with someone from another part of the world. But it is. There's options that are available to Canadians that aren't available to those other nationalities. Um, so it always makes sense to, to speak to someone who's specifically experienced with your country of origin. Yeah. So if you're considering going the H-1B visa in this context as a Canadian, then there are a lot of things that you need to consider and 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 put into the equation to determine yeah, whether or not we've seen a lot of a lot TN's of bad um, immigration lawyering done with respect to Canadians and H one Bs. A lot, and there's a lot of Canadians that just are misinformed and think they have to have a H one B visa, which isn't true. And the TN path for the majority of people that we talk to that are Canadian professionals, the TN is the preferred path. It is the best path, but there are some situations where the H-1B makes most sense. Mm -hmm. So 
who is the ideal candidate for an H-1B? Who even qualifies for an H-1B visa? Let's discuss that. So we understand what the H-1B visa is. It's a specific category of, of visa and that's available um, for individuals to work in the United States in specialty occupations right, is what it's called. I don't think we called. can talk about H-1B without talking about specialty occupation. So what's a specialty occupation? It requires a bachelor's degree or higher in order to do that job. For entry into the profession, right. So if you can if you can get into the profession without having a bachelor's degree or higher, then it then it's not considered a specialty occupation, and therefore it wouldn't qualify for an H one B visa. So, and I'm just going to use one off the top of my head that just popped in that, that we actually hear a lot. Let's say you are a barber. You know, typically, it doesn't require a bachelor's degree to become a barber, right? Uh, it's it's a trade or a real estate professional. Or a real estate professional. There's another good one doesn't require a bachelor's degree for entry into those professions. Therefore, it's typically not going to qualify as an H-1B specialty occupation. Not saying that it could never. There are unique situations sometimes where it could, but in the majority of situations, it's not going to. So that's that's the number one criteria. The profession must qualify by being a specialty occupation. And the individual applying under the H-1B has to have the requisite credentials as well right so just because it's a specialty occupation that you're working in if you don't have the degree or the combination of education and experience that would qualify you then you wouldn't qualify for the h1b visa so assuming you qualify and you've identified your job and we're going to stick with the one that we we've been talking about and that is let's say a ceo uh and you were maybe you were working for an engineering company and you are a senior engineer and you're now you're promoted to uh, CEO of the company and you were on a probably TN previously. COO. COO. COO would probably be a better chief operations officer. It's COO. So you're C-suite now, but you're no longer performing the functions of an engineer anymore. You're, you're managing the business. Okay. The operations of the business. And you yeah. no longer qualify for TN status and maybe you weren't TN mm -hmm. status. Now, you need to strongly consider going to an H-1B because that is the proper visa for you in this situation. Or maybe you were working in the United States as a student or you were studying in the U.S. as a student and you were on your OPT or your work authorization period and your work oh, yeah, authorization period is yeah. coming to an end. And the job that you were working in the United States doesn't qualify for TN status. And now you need to transition to an H-1B to continue working and living in the United States. Those are probably two of the most common ones we see with Canadians. You were either studying here and your profession's not going to qualify, but you were working under under this work authorization period, or you your profession that you are working in changes, maybe you've been promoted and now you graduated to a level that that now requires an H1B and you can no longer use the TN. Or there's those that never qualified for a TN in the first place and an H1B is the proper. Right. Plan. Their job just never was on the list. Are there advantages for Canadians in the H-1B visa process? There are some advantages, for sure. I mean, not in the lottery process. So the lottery specifically that we're talking about? Not in the lottery. No. no. You're, you're thrown into the pool with the rest of the world. And that's why most people want to avoid the H-1B if they can. But if you can't, you're in the lottery. Because if yeah. you think about the TN, there's no limit on the amount of TNs they can issue in a year. Nobody's yeah. checking and saying, oh, well, we, we've issued 150,000. We can't issue anymore. It's cut off. But and the H-1B has a, a numerical Canadian, limit. Though. Right. Think about that as a Canadian. You have such a huge advantage 
Well, yeah, because there's no limit on the amount that they can issue. But Every Canadian in, in in all of Canada, if they qualified, could get a TN. No one would stop them. Right, because there's no numerical limit. But the H-1B has a numerical limit, and it is hit every single year um, and exceeded every single year. Um, I don't know, twofold, threefold, fourfold, because... We have about a... I think the guesstimate this year is you're going to have like a 15 to 20% chance of even getting in the lottery. Exactly. So if you think about it... Um, the TN is more of a sure thing. The H-1B lottery is, it's a gamble, just like every lottery. But in some situation, it's, it is your option or it is mm -hmm. the correct option for right. what you're doing. So in order to do the lottery, and the reason we're talking about it is because this is coming up. Uh, April is when the lotteries typically run. They're going to issue all of the final details here shortly. I think in the coming next, I think... The, they said the beginning of February they would issue um, all of the relevant guidance for this upcoming H-1B lottery. It's actually for what they call fiscal year 2025. They run the lottery for that this year. Um, so question, can I as an employee just enter the lottery myself? No, you need a U.S. employer to be your sponsor in the lottery. Correct. So if you want... To get into the H-1B visa lottery, you need to have a job at, or offer of employment, an employer who is willing to sponsor you for the lottery. You just can't enter the lottery by yourself. That employer has to enter you into the lottery. It can't be done as an individual. So that's a key part of the H-1B visa lottery. You must have an offer of employment already and an employer who's willing to do the H-1B lottery for you and enter you into the lottery. And it's a very simple process to do the lottery. Just some basic biographic information about the employee who's being entered, about the company, uh, and their credentials to verify whether they're going to be. And there's two different. And don't forget the $10 fee. And the $10. Yeah, yes. so it's not very onerous. It's no. a it's a pretty simplistic process to enter into the lottery. And that's about it, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you meet that criteria and, and they put your name in the lottery. And then the, this is an electronically generated lottery. And the middle of April, they let those that are that win the lottery know whether or not they've been selected. And if you are selected into that lottery, then your employer is then given an, given an official notice from U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services letting them know that you that they won the lottery for you. And that they can now officially request a visa, an H-1B visa, on your behalf, according to that lottery entry. Right. They can enter a petition and apply for an H-1B for you. So there is... It's still not guaranteed, right? Right. So to enter the lottery, you don't have to prove that you qualify for anything. You just are a name um, and your employer's just a, a name of your employer. You pay your $10 and you're in. So there's a number of people that apply for the lottery that don't qualify for H-1B and they'll file a petition, file an application and get denied. Yep. That happens. So you want to make sure that you qualify before you enter the lottery. Um, and then... Especially before you file the petition with all the well, fees yeah. attached to it. Right. You're just going to get denied if you don't qualify. So just right. winning the lottery doesn't guarantee you're going to get the visa. No. So then the employer will file that petition on your behalf and it will process with USCIS and once you have an approval, there's still one more step to take. And, and what's the earliest you can start if you get in the lottery? Typically, October 1st is the earliest you can start with the lottery. 
So it's for fiscal year 2025, mm-hmm. which begins on October 1st of 2024. So even if you get in the lottery in April you st- and you file the petition that gets approved, the soonest you're able to start is October 1st. No sooner. So it's a long wait time. A lot of employers aren't willing to wait for that. Uh, and that's where these students that are in the U.S. under OPT and are already working here on an EAD, uh, they're good candidates for this because they're already working in the U.S. and a lot of them have no other option. Right, and they already have an employer connection to sponsor them. To sponsor them. Yep. Or those already in the U.S. and TN status and their employers promoting to a different position that requires an H-1B. They already have a relationship with the U.S. employer who's willing to do this process for them. Yes, if you don't have that relationship, it can be very difficult. And we see that a lot with individuals trying to work in the U.S. They try yeah, to people go ask us all the time, how do I find an employer to sponsor me? How do I? And we're like, well, we can't do a job search for you, but here's a couple options. Indeed, Monster. <laughs> and they also ask during the hiring process, a lot of employers in the U.S. will ask, are you authorized to work in the U.S.? I was like, well, how do I answer that? Well, you have to answer no, you're not authorized. And then or do I require sponsorship? Or do I require sponsorship? That's a yes, know? you do. And a lot of times or H-1B. An employer will eliminate you if you answer that. So it's it's difficult finding an employer that's willing to sponsor you in the process sometimes. But there are many that do. We have thousands of clients that we've represented that all work in the United States. So it's definitely possible to come into the United States Um and then under the H-1B there status. is one more benefit Canadian get Canadians get with the H-1B that the rest of the world doesn't get. They don't actually need to get a visa. Yes. Yes. And that's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's another misconception out there. And those that don't deal with Canadians and deal with other foreign nationals often give bad guidance. And I'm glad you brought that up because I had a consultation of just a few weeks ago with an individual who was Canadian. Mm-hmm. But he was born in India, which applies for the green card process. So he's Canadian. But but he's Canadian (laughs) for visa purposes, right? They use his Canadian passport. Mm -hmm. Um, And his employer had filed for an H-1B. This was the lottery last year. And he got into the lottery, but he was here on a TN. And he was changing over to an H-1B. Okay. He got in the lottery, won a number in the lottery, and then filed the petition and it was approved for a change from TN to H-1B status on October 1st. And there's two ways you can file for this change. One is you can change immediately in the U.S. through what's called a change of status. So you don't have to leave. What they do is they automatically change you on the date that you choose from TN to H-1B. No action required. You can just stay in the U.S. The other option is through what is called consular processing. And that's where if... If it gets approved, you have to leave the country and re-enter and get re-stamped and readmitted for that to become active. Right. In most countries, you need to go to the consulate, but Canadians get to skip that step. So this attorney was clearly unfamiliar with how this process works for Canadians. Uh This was filed for consular processing, which meant that this individual had to leave the country for that H-1B to engage and to, you know, to start. Mm -hmm. So he should have left the country. He should have left the country back in October, and re-entered, and and not had to go to the, not have to go to the consulate because 
Canadian national and just presented at the border with an H-1B approval and would have entered an H-1B status. So the employee, the attorney didn't know how to advise mm. him on what to do and was telling them that they had to go to India and get restamped. Oh, wow. I'm like, that's um, <laughs> no, you're that's Canadian. a little inconvenient. You can just drive across <laughs> the border with your approval notice and just drive back yeah. in. Yeah. And all you need is that approval, nothing else. And the, my client, the client was like, are you, are you serious? Is that all I have to do? And I said, I promise you. Well, the attorneys were telling me this, this, and that. I'm like, that's yeah, not correct. Know what they're doing. He, and then it, it, it was a few days or weeks since I talked to the individual and I get this email mm-hmm. and thanking me saying, oh, the process was so smooth. I did what you told me. I crossed the border. I reentered. All I did was show the approval notice and they stamped me. It took a lot of stress off of, off of me. And I'm, I'm now I'm in valid H1B status. Yeah, that's an example of a practitioner that probably deals more with the with nationals from other countries and doesn't really know all the nuances of dealing with Canadians. So huge advantage for Canadians. Yeah. You don't have to go and get a visa at the consulate. You just should present that approval notice at the border and then they admit you in H-1B status. Right, and there is adjudication at the consulate too. So I read a lot and um, hear a lot about people who have approved H-1Bs, but they go to the consulate and for some reason the consular officer doesn't want to approve them. And so there they sit in their home country with an approved H-1B, a job in the United States, but they can't get here because the consulate refuses to approve them for one reason or another. Yep. So huge advantage for, for Canadians. Absolutely. Another advantage for Canadians, and this comes to the J-1 visa. So those that are familiar with a, a J-1 visa can have what is called a two-year foreign residency requirement on it. And if you have a two-year foreign residency requirement attached to your studies in the U.S. or work in the U.S. under a J-1 visa, you cannot obtain an H-1B visa until you get a waiver or until you until you fulfill the two-year foreign residency requirement. Well, what does that mean? It means you have to return to your home country for two years before re-entering the United States yeah, or get a waiver. they're very strict on that. They very want strict. to see to the day that you've been out of the country for at least two years. Well, we go back to Canadians. Canadians, again, do not require a visa to get an H-1B. So that two-year foreign residency requirement to get an H-1B does not apply to Canadians because they can simply exit and re-enter under TN status without the need to go to the consulate to get an actual H-1B visa. You mean enter an H-1B status. But yes, yes, yeah. Exactly. You said TN. Oh, TN. <laughs> Always have TN on the brain. Yep. And re-enter in TN status without right. the need. You said it again. In H-1B <laughs> status. <laughs> without having the need to get a visa right. and a passport. Yeah, and it's a big advantage for those J-1s because, I mean, although they'll never be able to adjust status in the United States without qualifying. St- they could get a waiver and that. fulfill the two-year foreign right. residency requirement. Or fulfill it. Or there's, we, you know, there's some but tricky you can still scenarios. Get H-1B status. I mean, there's even stories of people where they're living in Canada to fulfill the, H- the foreign residency requirement for their J-1, but working in the United States on an H-1B or a TN in the meantime um, and fulfilling the requirement while they're working in the United yep. States. And we have clients actually right now doing that. Across the border that. doing that. Yes, yep. we do. So, and that's another huge advantage for Canadians is that two-year foreign residency requirement, although it does apply when it comes to getting the green card and you have to fulfill right. it eventually or, mm-hmm. or get a waiver, when you get your H-1B, since you don't need a H-1B visa, you just present yourself at the border and they'll stamp you and re- admit you an H-1B status. So another huge advantage for Canadians. Right. So in the end, you have to file uh, 
you have to find an employer who's willing to sponsor you through this process, enter you into the lottery and support you from the beginning to the end of the process. And one of the most important parts of the process is determining whether or not your profession qualifies, whether or not your profession does require a four-year degree for entry. And what else do you need as part of the process? Well, you need proof of your qualifications. You need proof of your education, so your degrees, diplomas, uh, proof of qualifications, experience uh, that would show that you meet those criteria. And another often overlooked part of this process is that if you're working in the United States in TN status, for example, there is no wage requirement. Although they do expect you to be paired, paid a living wage. And what is a professional con- level wage, a professional level wage in the yeah. United States that's consistent with that profession. Mm-hmm. There is no check with the Department of Labor. However, H-1B does have a check with the Department of Labor through what is called a prevailing wage determination and a labor condition application to verify that that foreign national is being paid an acceptable wage as per the Department of Labor for that position, for that profession in that area of intended employment. So it's very important to check and verify your job offer because if your job offer is for a wage that is lower than that prevailing wage, then they're going to have to pay you more if they want to bring you in under H-1B status. They can't just pay you whatever they determine to be fair or whatever you two agree upon. It has to be according to this prevailing wage. Right, and there's two reasons for that. The first one is that they don't want foreign labor undercutting U.S. labor for jobs. Um, And the second one is that they don't want employers um, paying below a living wage to someone who's coming into the United States to live because there's a lot of people out there that would take a lot lower pay in order to have um, a a home in the United States. So it protects both the U.S. labor market, but it Mm -hmm. also protects the foreign worker. Correct. So there are protections for both. And Department of Labor is serious about enforcing that and making sure that these wages are fair. Um, So... If you find yourself in a situation where you need to work, you have you have an offer of employment in the United States and that that position doesn't qualify for a TN visa, or you might be in TN status and it would be advantageous of, to obtain an H-1B visa, or you are here as a student and now it's time to get work authorization and you would not qualify for TN status, well, now is the time to consider the H-1B lottery. Now is the time to have that discussion with your employer about this transition. Also, if you are contemplating getting a green card in the future and it's a more complex situation or the position for that uh, that green card may be a graduated position, a C-level position, or one that may not qualify under the current status that you have, and it makes sense to transition to H-1B status, now's the time to do that. Uh, Have that discussion with your employer, with your HR department, about them entering you into the H-1B lottery and potentially sponsoring you for the H-1B visa process. This is also a good time, in my opinion, it's always a good time to have a discussion with your employer about possible sponsorship for permanent residency in the U.S. too. All of these go in hand. And if you're working in the United States, you should always contemplate the future. What's next? Yeah, Am we I get calls all the time forever? from people that say, hey, so I just lost my job. I was on TN, and but what do I do? Because I have a home here. My kids are going to school here. Um, you know, my wife is uh, pursuing a, maybe a degree at a local university. What do I do? Um, and there isn't a lot of options sometimes if you don't have another job offer. So 
the move to the green card is key in order to give you that security to be able to build your life in the United States and that comfort. And if I'm a foreign worker coming to work in the United States, I'm having that discussion right away with my employer. Right. Sure. I'm going to come on a TN or an H1B, but I also want you to sponsor me for a green card within X amount of time of me working for you. Yeah. Uh, to give yourself and your family long-term security in the United States and, and a path to permanent residency. Yeah, make your intentions known so they're aware that that's that's what the plan is and that they're on. make sure they're on board with that. And in our experience, a lot of employers are willing to do that. In fact, mm-hmm. when they work with these employees and they find out they're such good good workers, they want to keep them. And they'll do anything that that is necessary to keep them here. And they're more than willing to support them in the green card process. So if, if you are contemplating the H-1B visa lottery or have any additional questions about it, feel free to reach out to us to re- directly. You can visit our website, rjimmigrationlaw.com, shoot us an email, uh, or give us a call. We'd be glad to discuss your potential options for H-1B visa, for TN status, for a green card, or whatever U.S. immigration questions might be. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great day.